Chapter Sixteen of *The Imperialist* by Sarah Jeanette Duncan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Lorne was thus an atom in the surge of London. The members of the deputation, as their business progressed, began to feel less like atoms and more like a body exerting an influence, however obscurely hid in a temperance hotel, upon the tide of international affairs but their secretary had naturally no initiative that appeared no importance that was taken account of in these respects no less than in the others he justified mr cruikshank's selection he did his work as unobtrusively as he did it admirably well and for the rest he was just washed about carried hither and thither generally on the tops of omnibuses receptive absorbent mostly silent he did try once or twice to talk to the bus drivers he had been told it was a thing to do if you wanted to get hold of the point of view of a particular class but the thick london idiom defeated him and he found they grew surly when he asked them too often to repeat their replies he felt a little surly himself after a while when they asked him as they nearly always did if he wasn't an american yes he would say in the end but not the united states kind resenting the necessity of explaining to the briton beside him that there were other kinds the imperial idea goes so quickly from the heart to the head he felt compelled nevertheless to mitigate his denial to the bus drivers i expect it's the next best thing he would say but it's only the next best it was as if he felt charged to vindicate the race the whole of anglo-saxondom there in his supreme moment his splendid position on the top of an omnibus lumbering west out of trafalgar square one introduction of his own he had mrs milburn had got it for him from the rector mr emmet to his wife's brother mr charles chafe who had interests in chiswick and a house in warwick gardens lorne put off presenting the letter did not know indeed quite how to present it till his stay in london was half over finally he presented himself with it as the quickest way at the office of mr chafe's works at chiswick he was cordially received both there and in warwick gardens where he met mrs chafe and the family when he also met mr alfred hesketh lorne went several times to the house in warwick gardens and hesketh a nephew was there on the very first occasion it was an encounter interesting on both sides he hesketh was a young man with a good public school and a university behind him where his very moderate degree however failed to represent the activity of his mind or the capacity of his energy he had a little money of his own and no present occupation he belonged to the surplus he was not content to belong to it he cast about him a good deal for something to do there was always the bar but only the best fellows get on there and he was not quite one of the best fellows he knew that he had not money enough for politics or interest enough for the higher departments of the public service nor had he those ready arts of expression that lead naturally into journalism anything involving further examinations he rejected on that account 
and the future of glassware in view of what they were doing in germany did not entice him to join his uncle in chiswick still he was aware of enterprise convinced that he had loafed long enough lord murchison had never met anyone of hesketh's age in hesketh's condition before affluence and age he knew in honourable retirement poverty and youth he knew embarked in the struggle indolence and youth he also knew as it cumbered the ground but youth and a competence equipped with education industry and vigour searching vainly in fields empty of opportunity was to him a new spectacle he himself had intended to be a lawyer since he was fourteen there never had been any impediment to his intention any qualification to his desire he was still under his father's roof but that was for the general happiness any time within the last eighteen months if he had chosen to hurry fate he might have selected another he was younger than hesketh by a year yet we may say that he had arrived while hesketh was still fidgeting at the starting-point why don't you farm he asked once farming in england may pay in a quarter of a century not before i can't wait for it besides why should i farm why didn't you well said lorne in your case it seems about the only thing left i oh it doesn't attract us over there we're getting away from it leaving it to the newcomers from this side curious circle that i wonder when our place gets overcrowded where we shall go to plough hesketh's situation occupied them a good deal but their great topic had a wider drift embracing nothing less than the empire pausing nowhere short of the flag the imperial idea was very much at the moment in the public mind it hung heavily like a banner in every newspaper it was filtering through the slow british consciousness solidifying as it travelled in the end it might be expected to arrive at a shape in which the british consciousness must either assimilate it or cast it forth they were saying in the suburbs that they wanted it explained at hatfield they were saying some of them with folded arms that it was self-evident other members of that great house swinging their arms called it blackness of darkness and ruin so had a prophet divided it against itself wallingham still in the cabinet was going up and down the country trying not to explain too much there was division in the cabinet sore travail among private members the conception being ministerial the opposition applied itself to the task of abortion fearing the worst if it should be presented to the country fully formed and featured the smiling offspring of progress and imagination travellers to greater britain returned waving joyous torches in the insular fog they shed a brilliance and infectious enthusiasm but there were not enough to do more than make the fog visible many persons found such torches irritating they pointed out that as england had groped to her present greatness she must be trusted to feel her way further free trade they said has made us what we are put out these lights 
mr chafe was one of these he was a cautious heavy fellow full of burgundy and distrust the basis of the imperial idea inspired him with suspicion and hostility he could accept the american tariff on english manufactures that was a plain position simple damage a blow full in the face not to be dodged but the offer of better business in the english colonies in exchange for a duty on the corn and meat of foreign countries he could see too deep for that the colonials might or might not be good customers he knew how many decanters he sold in the united states in spite of the tariff he saw that the tax on foodstuffs was being commended to the working man with the argument of higher wages higher wages with the competition of foreign labor spelt only one word to english manufacturers and that was ruin the bugbear of higher wages immediate threatening near the terror of the last thirty years closed the prospect for charles chafe he could see nothing beyond he did not say so but to him the prosperity of the british manufacturer was bound up in the indigence of the operative thriving workmen doing well and looking to do better rose before him in terms of menace though their prosperity might be rooted in his own give them cheap food and keep them poor was the sum of his advice his opinions had the emphasis of the unexpected the unnatural he was one of the people whom wallingham's scheme in its legitimate development of a tariff on foreign manufactures might be expected to enrich this fact which he constantly insisted on did give them weight it made him look like a cunning fellow not to be caught with chaff he and his business had survived free trade though he would not say this either and he preferred to go on surviving it rather than take the chances of any zollverein the name of the thing was enough for him a word made in germany thick and mucky like their tumblers as to the colonies mr chafe had been told of a certain spider who devoured her young ones he reversed the figure and it stood in the imperial connection for all the argument he wanted alfred hesketh had lived always in the hearing of such doctrine it had stood to him for political gospel by mere force of repetition but he was young with the curiosity and enterprise and impatience of dogma of youth he belonged by temperament and situation to those plastic thousands in whom wallingham hoped to find the leaven that should leaven the whole lump his own blood stirred with the desire to accomplish to carry further and as the scope of the philanthropist did not attract him he was vaguely conscious of having been born too late in england the new political appeal of the colonies clashing suddenly upon old insular harmonies brought him a sense of wider fields and chances his own case he freely translated into his countries and offered an open mind to politics that would help either of them 
he looked at the new countries with interest an interest evoked by their sudden dramatic leap into the forefront of public concern he looked at them with what nature intended to be the eye of a practical business man he looked at lorne murchison too and listened to him with steady critical attention lorne seemed in a way to sum it all up in his person all the better opportunity a man had out there and he handled large matters of the future with a confidence and a grip that quickened the circulation hesketh's open mind gradually became filled with the imperial view as he had the capacity to take it and we need not be surprised if lorne murchison gazing in the same direction supposed that they saw the same thing hesketh confessed declared that murchison had brought him round and lorne surveyed this achievement with a thrill of the happiest triumph hesketh stood to him a product of that best which he was so occupied in admiring and pursuing perhaps he more properly represented the second best but we must allow something for the confusion of early impressions hesketh had lived always in the presence of ideals disengaged in england as nowhere else in the world in oxford lorne knew they clustered thick there is no doubt that his manners were good and his ideas unimpeachable in the letter the young canadian read the rest into him and loved him for what he might have been as an englishman said hesketh one evening as they walked together back from the chafes along knightsbridge talking of the policy urged by the colonial representatives at the last conference i could wish the idea were more our own that we were pressing it on the colonies instead of the colonies pressing it on us doesn't there come a time in the history of most families lorne replied when the old folks look to the sons and daughters to keep them in touch with the times why shouldn't a vigorous policy of empire be conceived by its younger nations who have the ultimate resources to carry it out we've got them and we know it the iron and the coal and the gold and the wheat-bearing areas i dare say it makes us seem cheeky but i tell you the last argument lies in the soil and what you can get out of it what has this country got in comparison a market of forty million people whom she can't feed and is less and less able to find work for do you call that a resource i call it an impediment a penalty it's something to exploit for the immediate profit in it something to bargain with but even as a market it can't preponderate always and i can't see why it should make such tremendous claims england isn't superannuated yet murchison not yet please god she never will be but she isn't as young as she was and it does seem to me what seems to you well i'm no economist and i don't know how far to trust my impressions and you needn't tell me i'm a rank outsider for i know that but coming here as an outsider it does seem to me that it's from the outside that any sort of helpful change in the conditions of this country has got to come 
england still has military initiative though it's hard to see how she's going to keep that unless she does something to stop the degeneration of the class she draws her army from but what other kind do we hear about company promoting bee-keeping asparagus growing poultry farming for ladies the opening of a new oriental teapot in regent street with samisen players between four and six and japanese attendants who take the change on their hands and knees london's one great stomach how many eating-places have we passed in the last ten minutes the place seems all taken up with inventing new ways of making rich people more comfortable and better amused i'm fed up with the sight of shiny carriages with cockaded flunkies on em wooden smart rolling about with an elderly woman and a parasol and a dog england seems to have fallen back on itself got content to spend the money there is in the country already and about the only line of commercial activity the stranger sees is the onslaught on that accumulation london isn't the headquarters for big new developing enterprises any more if you take out westminster and wallingham london is a collection of traditions and great houses and newspaper offices and shops that sort of thing can't go on forever already capital is drawing away to conditions it can find a profit in steel-works in canada woollen factories in australia jute mills in india do you know where the boots came from that shod the troops in south africa Conpore. the money will go you know and that's a fact the money will go and the people will go anyhow it's only a case of whether england sends them with blessing and profit and greater glory or whether she lets them slip away in spite of her i dare say it will replied hesketh i've got precious little but what there is i'd take out fast enough if i saw a decent chance of investing it i sometimes think of trying my luck in the states two or three fellows in my year went over there and aren't making half a bad thing of it oh come said lorne half swinging round upon the other with his hands in his pockets it isn't exactly the time is it to talk about chucking the empire well no it isn't hesketh admitted one might do better to wait i dare say at all events till we see what the country says to wallingham they walked on for a moment or two in silence then lorne broke out again i suppose it's unreasonable but there's nothing i hate so much as to hear englishmen talk of settling in the united states it's risky i admit and i've never heard anybody yet say it was comfortable in a few years fifty maybe it won't matter things will have taken their direction by then but now it's a question of the lead the americans think they've got it and unless we get imperial federation of course they have it's their plain intention to capture england commercially we're a long way from that said hesketh yes but it's in the line of fate industrial energy is deserting this country and you have no large movement no counter advance to make against the increasing forces that are driving this way from over there nothing to oppose to assault 
england is in a state of siege and doesn't seem to know it she's so great hesketh it's pathetic she offers an undefended shore to attack and a stupid confidence a kindly blindness above all to americans whom she patronizes in the gate i believe we do patronize them said hesketh it's rotten bad form oh form i may be mad but one seems to see in politics over here a lack of definition and purpose a tendency to cling to the abstract and to precedent the mainstay of the mandarin one of the papers calls it that's a good word that give one the feeling that this kingdom is beginning to be aware of some influence stronger than its own it lies of course in the great west where the corn and the cattle grow and between winnipeg and chicago choose quickly england his companion laughed oh i'm with you he said but you take a pessimistic view of this country murchison it depends on what you call pessimism lorne rejoined i see england down the future the heart of the empire the conscience of the world and the mecca of the race End of chapter 16